Welcome back to a fourth and final installment of this special solo podcast series from the Cinephile Delinquents. My name is Byron Bixler, one half of the Cinephile Delinquents. And once again, we're talking about Ithaca Fantastic 2016. Uh, it's all over now. It's, uh, it's Sunday night, and uh, the festival has concluded with Train to Busan, which I will be talking about soon. But uh, before I get into the films that I saw, and I watched three, I said the other day that I might do four, but I didn't. I wasn't able to make one of them, so uh, I got to the um, I got to the four, the six, and the eight o'clock shows. But so anyway, um, just to really quickly talk about the festival in general, this was a really fun experience. Uh, personally, I'd never covered a festival in this way. I'd never really seen well how can I put this I've never seen so many movies in such a short concentrated period of time over the course of the last five days since Wednesday uh, I've seen a total of 15 films and um, it's been a whirlwind for sure and it's been tiring um, but it's been really fun and I really appreciate the hard work of the people at Cinemopolis and uh, as part of the Ithaca Fantastic Programmers Group and the um, as well as the Ithaca College students who volunteered and all of that. Uh, it was a really great event, and I really enjoyed going to it, so I just have to give shouts out there. So now just to jump into the films, uh, as I've said before, um, you can read the article for a more concise, uh, well-put-together view, but this is kind of just me uh, rambling about what I saw, my general thoughts, so I can kind of start putting it together. So the first film I saw today was the 4 p.m. show of Another Evil, and another evil is, um, well, the, the person who came out and spoke to us about it, um, who was the artistic director at uh, Ithaca Fantastic, said the film is technically mumblecore, which is a word that he doesn't like. And uh, yeah, it, it has the hallmarks of that. Uh, if you don't know, mumblecore is kind of like a small, low-budget indie scene uh, drama kind of filmmaking in which characters will just sort of talk and talk and talk and talk, and it'll be Im improvised for the most part. A lot of long scenes. Um, it's mo It feels like improvised filmmaking, and this film very much feels like that. So the story is you have a, a painter who is at his uh, hillside, mountainside vacation home with his family, his wife, and his teenage son, and um, he figures out that his house is haunted, one uh, one evening, he uh, he runs across one of these ghosts in a very startling scene in which he's uh, kind of probing around upstairs after hearing something. And uh, it's kind of goofy. There's a, there's a note of silliness in it as he's walking around with his uh, fireplace poker. But then something runs behind him in the hallway and then... He comes across something very startling on the stairs. And that kind of sets the tone for the movie, where it's it's kind of vacillating between comedy and horror. But really, this movie, more than anything, is comedy. And it's extremely offbeat comedy. Uh, it's very, very different. Um, just kind of awkward kind of comedy and strange characters. But so from there, he looks to hire someone to help him get these ghosts out of his house. The first person he gets is this this kind of hippy-dippy guy who is all like, oh, man, no, it's no problem. These ghosts, you know, they're, they're, not, they're not hostile or anything. There's no reason to kick them out. 
But then he finds another guy who is like the ghost assassin. I think someone calls him that at one point. And um, like this guy wearing like a leather jacket and a cowboy hat, but he's totally not a uh, an imposing figure. He's kind of he's kind of this doughy glasses wearing guy. No offense to doughy glasses wearing people, um, but he's he's kind of a quirky oddball sort of character, and he's hard to take that seriously. And so he invites him to the house, and he kind of probes around, and he sees that like yeah, there's definitely some energy here, but it's not ghosts. These are demons with a capital D. And so from there on, uh, him and this painter kind of stay up at the house trying to figure out how to get rid of them. And from there, it kind of uh, rambles, um, meanders, I think is probably the better word. Uh, it meanders way off course to the point at which I'm re- I wasn't really sure what it was about anymore. Um, they start trying to trap the ghosts in different ways, and... They have a series of just these long, long conversations in which the ghost hunter dude is telling us these stories, um, sometimes funny, sometimes creepy, sometimes a weird mix of the two, and every once in a while we'll have another scene like that opening scene where very suddenly we'll be startled with just a freaky image, and it's it plays into this whole, uh, not a genre, but it's, it's a kind of horror filmmaking that I would call mundane terror, which... Uh, if you saw They Look Like People, which I've talked about in the podcast before, was another super low-budget indie horror film that kind of was similar. It was like this except minus the comedy in which you have some very mundane situations, day-to-day situations, normal characters, and just every once in a while just something horrific will come out of nowhere and just shake everything up. And I I find that really unnerving. Um, so... I was constantly just in dread throughout this movie, despite it being very goofy. After that opening scene, I was just so thrown off, expecting something like that to happen again. And it kind of does, once or twice more. Um, especially since the um, the entity itself is so disturbing looking. Uh, at least the first time you see it, you don't expect it. <laughs> I was not prepared for that. But so, uh, back to the meandering part, this movie really just kind of strays into a weird direction uh, as the the ghost assassin guy just kind of goes rogue and and latches onto this theory that I don't know where he got it from, uh, and suddenly it takes the movie in a weird direction. Um, yeah, strange ending. I don't know. I don't really know where this movie went. Um, worth checking out if if you like kind of oddball indie stuff and uh, it's got some good stuff in it some of the the conversations are really funny but it's so strange narratively I'm just not sure what it's doing or what it's trying to say or if it's trying to say anything at all um it just in the last act or so it just kind of goes off the rails uh, into a weird place that I didn't quite understand so anyway moving on to the next film this was the master cleanse which is starring uh, Johnny Galicki, I think that's his name. He was in The Big Bang Theory, um, which I don't watch, so I'm, I'm not super familiar with him. Uh, if if you're a fan of that show, you might want to see this for him. But so uh, this is about... A lot of these movies I'm talking about are like these, these loner loser characters, and uh, that's the character he's playing. He's, his um, fiancé, I believe, has just left him, and... He's feeling down and he's looking for a way to uh, better himself and 
find more purpose. And so he starts doing like self-help stuff and he looks up ways to um, yeah, get over his grief, I should say, or get rid of his his inner demons. And the film treats that concept literally. Uh, so he, he finds this website called letsgetpure.com, which takes him to this uh, organization which operates out of a, a building um, in this one room in a building and they go through the screening process in which people talk about their their greatest sadness to get screened uh, and get chosen to go on this retreat um, so they can get cleansed of the things that are disturbing them or bothering them or leaving them in fear and uh, he gets chosen and he goes out there and uh, Angelica Houston is kind of in charge uh, she's very funny in this. I always love Angelica Houston, but she's she's in charge, and Al- Oliver Platt shows up later as the guy who has kind of started this whole movement. And uh, upon arriving there, he's given these drinks, these fluids that he's told to drink. There's like four jars of it, and he, they say, drink this down uh, by the end of the day, and then the cleansing process will begin. And he drinks it, and it's really gross stuff. And uh, he ends up vomiting later into the sink. And then there's a weird leak in the pipes, and he removes it and uh, finds inside this strange organism, which turns out to be some kind of odd creature. And uh, he he kind of comes to the the, uh, conclusion that this thing kind of came out of him and uh, as a mixture of him and these fluids. And this thing is a representative monster, basically. It's it's not a violent monster, but it is representative of his inner demons. And uh, it's kind of cute, and he kind of uh, gravitates to it. And this is happening with all the other people who are at the retreat as well, and so the rest of the film kind of deals with uh, getting the, the choice to get rid of this creature or to hold on to it. So... To be perfectly honest with you, I fell asleep at one point in this movie, and I'm not really sure how much I missed. I was actually asking some people afterwards um, about the point where I think I fell asleep and if I missed too much. Apparently, I didn't. I think I was kind of near the end. Um, But like I said the other day, considering the way this festival schedule works for someone who's writing about it... um, it's really draining, and there's always at least one film each day that I just cannot stay awake for, uh, at least not fully. And I spent half of this movie just fighting to stay awake because it was just not grabbing me. Um, Another Evil, I didn't have that problem with that because that was kind of weird and interesting and that kept me engaged. This one, I just kind of drifted in and out of sleep. Again, it's that sort of thing where your eyes are closing and you don't realize they're closing. Um just constantly dealing with that and having to jolt myself back and try to get engaged. Um, but it didn't quite work. At some point, I think I just dropped off without even knowing um, and was kind of in and out of sleep and saw a couple moments here and there, but I wasn't really processing what people were saying. It was around the time where Oliver Platt shows up, and um, I, I think I must have missed a scene or two because I, I sort of came back around near the end, um, I won't say what happens at the end, but I sort of came around during the end, and I was not really sure how we got to this point. Um, I felt like I'd missed a scene or two, so that might have been the case. But 
So I have to apologize for that. Um, I can't really go into too much detail about this movie because I, I fell asleep for a time. So based on what I did see, though, I, I don't think this is that special. I think it, um, it, it's, it's a weird thing where it's trying to bring a, a creature feature kind of thing, like a David Cronenberg sort of sensibility together with something that is more heartfelt. This is easily the most heartfelt movie that I've seen at the festival so far in which it is, it's not scary in any way whatsoever. It's a little odd. Uh, you have elements that are a little bit surreal. Um, it's moments that feel a little bit like um, dystopian almost just a little bit. You can't quite put your finger on it, but um, kind of like think John Mal- uh, being John Malkovich, you know, that sort of feel in which there's an organization that can do things that you don't think would be possible, that sort of thing. So um, it's doing both of these things, but it doesn't really go very far with its idea. Like I said, it's a literal confronting your demons the demon inside you is literally a little monster that grows over time, and if you don't kill it, then it's going to consume you kind of thing. And I guess that's a cool little premise, but you kind of need to go somewhere with it, and I felt like this film didn't really go anywhere with it. Uh, and again, I I think I missed a scene or two, so I might have missed something. But from what I saw, um, including the ending, it was kind of went exactly where you expected it to go and didn't dig that deep. So this movie was not not entirely uh it wasn't scary at all. It wasn't quite funny enough to be affecting. To me it was really just sort of a forgettable experience all the more so because I started falling asleep. So, yeah, I can't really say much about this one. It is fine, I guess. Uh it just didn't leave any kind of impact on me whatsoever. So, From there, I'll move on to the last film, which was a total blast. What a great pick. What a great pick to close the festival out on. So Train to Busan is a Korean zombie film, and it's the first live-action film by this director. There's another film that was shown at the festival called Soul Station, which was also a Korean zombie film from the same director, and it's kind of a a prequel. It was animated, uh, an animated prequel to this film, which is an interesting idea to do, to have two kind of companion piece films come out around the same time. So Train to Busan, uh, we have a zombie outbreak. We have a father with his daughter. They get on this train to go and visit uh, the mother who the father is estranged from, I believe. Um, It's not entirely clear to me. I don't quite remember if they were divorced or getting divorced or in the process or something like that. But bottom line is they are not together. They are not on great terms. So the the daughter is asking if she can go see the mother because the dad is the big businessman. He's like an account manager, money guy, fund manager. That's what they say. And he doesn't really have time for his daughter, and he's uh, away, away from home all the time. And so he, he agrees to her, like, okay, we're going to get on this train or we're going to go see mommy. And they get on the train, but uh, what... Uh, what great timing, because at the same time they're getting on this train, this violent zombie outbreak starts, which, by the way, is spurred by a zombie deer, which is a great, <laughs> it, is, it is such a great opening scene when you see this deer rear up as, like, the catalyst for this whole thing. I assume that's what, it, that's what started all of this. 
But uh, it all starts from there, and cities just start collapsing immediately. The the way they they handle the zombie uh, virus in this film is it takes hold really fucking quickly. Um, like within a, a minute, within a couple seconds of you getting bitten, or not bitten, but like if it gets deep enough into you, um, you will turn into a zombie within a few seconds of dying. And they are aggressive and they are fast. Uh, this is not the Night of the Living Dead zombies. These are really quick, uh, tough to beat zombies. And I don't even remember a time really where one of them was killed off. They never addressed this whole thing of like, how to, if you sever their heads or something, they'll stop. They seem to just keep going no matter what, which made them even scarier. So anyway, this father and his daughter get on train and a zombie outbreak starts. And uh, just as the doors are closing, this one girl jumps onto the train and uh, she's been running away from these zombies and she's infected, uh, fucks it up for everyone by getting on this train, just her alone. Uh, and she's like going into convulsions and one of the stewardesses comes over and tries to take care of her and she bites her and it just escalates from there and gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And it's amazing how fast it, it spreads and uh, kind of terrifying. So everyone is just, is just running to the back of the train and trying to seal off the doors in between and to stop these zombies. And from there, it is a total adrenaline rush, thrill ride of a film, and I really had a great time with this. I think, I think it seemed like the audience, um, which was pretty much, it was pretty much a full house to see this. Um, the audience was digging it too. This was just so much fun. Um, where do you even begin with this? So, first of all, I do have to say it's not like a masterpiece or anything. It is one of the better zombie films to come out of the last few years definitely just in terms of uh just how thrilling and fast moving and uh the spectacle of it all of that it's just so overwhelming and so entertaining uh, but i would do have to say it is cliched in a number of ways it does indulge in a lot of cliches um the theme of this film is the dilemma of leaving someone behind and helping them out, uh, fighting for yourself versus fighting for others. That is a consistent theme in which the father is kind of cowardly and he tells his daughter, you know, in a situation like this, you can only think about yourself. You can't stop and get weighed down. And uh, there's another character who's even more of an extreme in that, that way, who's totally selfish and is basically the villain of the movie. Uh, he's even basically the final boss of this thing. It's so strange. Uh, just how bad this guy is. People were were rooting against him in the theater uh, and cheering whenever he like he hit a snag. Um, but so that is kind of the idea. But at the same time, I feel like there there might be some some political implications below this. Um, it's hard to say exactly, but I feel like there's some things you could pick apart. I'm I, whenever I see a film like this, especially zombie movies, I feel the need to look and see if there's anything deeper um, because it's easy to just call this just a popcorn film, which it is. But I feel like if you dig dug deep enough, you might be able to find some semblance of a, a message. Um, so you have this idea of one thing, uh, the poor over the rich. There's a character in here who I assume is a homeless man. That's At least that's the way he seems. He's another stowaway on the train who was kind of present when the zombie thing started off 
and um, he becomes the unlikely hero of the thing. Meanwhile, the the rich COO, who is the, the bad guy in this, is just totally selfish and for himself. Uh, you have this idea of old over new, which is interesting, and tradition. There's talk of uh, the old regime of South Korea at one point, and um, there's a moment in the film where they're speeding along on this this very fast modern train. At one point, they have to switch over to another train, and that train is like an old-school, almost freight-looking train, a lot more rugged. And um, I thought that was kind of interesting. I don't know if that's trying to say anything, but it felt like it was falling into a kind of pattern of this. Um, I don't know. I probably shouldn't get into that because just trying to talk about themes would uh, take a little more thought than I think I'm able to give right now. This is, again, just giving my basic thoughts. So the zombies in this, to go back to this point, they are, well, we learn about them in in little uh, bits of information planted here and there. And it's really exciting to see how these characters learn about them over time. We learn things about like how they interact to the dark and how in the dark they basically become blind and uh, reliant entirely on sound. Um, how if they do not see you, then they are not hostile. Um, it's kind of like they're they're putting uh, newspapers over the the glass doors, and once they do that, all the zombies become kind of docile. Um, stuff like that, and you're learning you're learning gradually how to get how you get around them. And there's a there's a great sequence in the film where a bunch of characters are trying to get from one car to another one. They have to go through four different cars. And each one is full of zombies, and every in in each car they have to do a different thing to get through them. At first, it's just straight up punching and attacking and fighting back, and another one it's it's more stealthy, um, and just trying out different things. And they're learning more things about the zombies on each level, and so that was cool. So this movie also, I would say, is if I were to offer another criticism, perhaps a little bit too long. Uh, it's, it's a solid two hours, but I, I honestly think this probably could have been about 90 minutes. It could have been a little tighter. Uh, there are a lot of things that sort of hit the same notes that could have been consolidated a little more. I think you have a relatively big cast here and going back to the cliche thing, they all kind of fit the role that you expect them to. There are certain characters who, you know, will die by the end of this. Of course, it's a zombie movie, so most of them die, but there are certain characters you know will rise to be a hero only to be uh, killed as a sacrifice for everyone else to live and things like that. Uh, but still, those things aside, whatever, it's it's still really fun, and if you get a chance to see this, really go see it, especially if you like zombie movies. This is, this is a lot of fun and um, shouldn't be missed, so... That was Train to Busan and a, a wonderful way to close this festival. Again, I have to I have to say this has been a great time these last five days. And it will be back next November, I believe. Uh, I, I mean, I, I wouldn't presume to say that for sure, but I, I assume that's the way it's going to be. So also just to recap on the festival as a whole, if I were to give the best films I saw, uh, I would say number one would be Long Weekend which I saw on Friday. Uh, number two would be Wolfen, I believe, yeah, with Albert Finney, the werewolf film for the 80s. 
uh, set in New York City. Number three would be The Handmaiden, which was the opening night film. Number four, I would say, is Safe Neighborhood, which I talked about yesterday. And number five would be Train to Busan. Despite its cliches, it is just, it's got great energy. The spectacle of it, the intensity of it. I mean, there, there, again, going back to it, there are moments in that film where I was just so tense. I, I felt every fiber of my body tensing, just trying to will these characters through a really rough situation. And it, it takes a really good filmmaker to bring that out. Um, a lot of horror films I'm just kind of watching passively, but this was one where I felt actively engaged in it. And you could feel that energy through the whole room. But so, yeah, that would be my number five. Um, and again, in total, I saw 15 films. So if you want to go back, if you didn't read our coverage, if you didn't listen to the other ones, uh, then check it out on the filmicmag.com site. Uh, we have all of the Ithaca fantastic coverage there. And so this wraps up this special podcast series. I was really glad to do this. Uh, but now it's we're going to be headed back to the regu- regular programming of just Justin and I doing our weekly podcast show with, with also uh, an additional interview series, which I'm developing. There will be something new from that coming in the next few days. So once again, my name is Byron Bixler. Thank you for listening. Have a great week. Thank you.